Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here, and a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He make one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. Way to go, Jack. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's all in the reflexes. Big Trouble in Little China. Is that racist? <laughs> <laughs> But I think oh, you're talking not thinking... more a tone and cadence than an accent. So Did you know no? that's actually um, Carpenter himself? <laughs> yeah, that's his yeah, that the, the Coupe de Ville's. Yeah. Okay. This is the third of our commission shows. Sharon and I honestly have never particularly adored Big Trouble, but some of you guys do. And Brendan Agnew and a School of Movies supporter known only as... Mr. F. Club together to bring you this investigation into its often overlooked charms. Hello, thank you, and welcome to our first guest, Mr. Brendan Agnew, who goes by the name and avatar of Jack Burton on Twitter. Jack Burton, me. <laughs> We're not going to be able to get away from the John Wayne impressions. <clears throat> our second guest, longtime John Carpenter nut, Mr. Neil Taylor. Hello, Neil. Hello. And from Sequentially Yours, our final guest, Mr. Karu Nagisa. I have a very positive attitude about this. Yes. <laughs> you, you guys can't see it, but I'm doing that sort of like holding up my my one finger and thumb out like that, doing the sort of the kung fu grip. <laughs> is okay. it, is well, it a woman you. here or is it just me? <laughs> we may be trapped. Okay. <clears throat> Big Trouble in Little China was initially pitched as a modern-day western with Kurt Russell as truck driver Jack Burton, who rolls into town doing his most brash John Wayne impersonation and rescuing a beautiful woman aided by her fiancé Wang Chi from a gang of Chinese gangsters headed by an ancient demon sorcerer, David Lopan. It features an array of stereotypes from Asian kung fu movies, including elemental magic, exotic weaponry, Fu Manchu locations, and regular chop socky action sequences. And it ruffled quite a few feathers from people who considered it culturally insensitive. But here's the twist that nobody seemed to realise. Jack isn't the hero. He thinks he is, but he's actually the genuinely talented Wang's sidekick. Most of the time, all Jack does is charge in, bumble around, and talk big, while the real martial artists duke it out. 
He only helps save the day at the end because, as is firmly established early on, he's quite good at catching things. Movie Bob and many others argue that it is in fact a satire of the way that Western cinema co-opts what's popular in every other culture and tramples over the very people they're trying to represent. Specifically, it's an indictment of what happened to Bruce Lee in his career with his arranged leading role in the TV show Kung Fu going to the distinctly Caucasian David Carradine. This following Bruce Lee being a clearly thousand times more skillful than the white guy he was sidekicking for in The Green Hornet. You can see this film as Western imperialism, or the last gasp of the racially insensitive, downright exploitative tone of the adventure serials of the kind that Indiana Jones was based on, to the point where the Neomodians appeared in The Phantom Menace 13 years later, everybody called Lucas on his bullshit, and Marvel declined to make their Mandarin exactly like the villain in this, Lo Pan. Is that legal? And the Jedi? Yes, yes, my lord, uh, as you wish. The invasion is on schedule, my lord. The queen has great faith that the senate will side with her. And I'm just like, racism! (laughs) (laughs) Because it's very arguable that Carpenter knew exactly what he was doing. That this is, in fact, sly-winking satire. Making fun of the very outdated movies, TV and comics that it resembles. And it did a good job of impersonating them, too. The film was poorly received, taking in a meagre $11 million on its $20 million budget. <clears throat> it was, however, very well received on video. And bear in mind that the mid to late 80s was the golden age of video rental stores like Blockbuster. This has become a cult classic, beloved enough to make people who call themselves Pork Chop Excess or Jack Burton on Twitter, and even getting them to club together to get people who are frankly bewildered by this movie to talk about it. Luckily, we have some of them on as well. Hello, gentlemen. Hello there. <laughs> okay. For the record, I didn't pay. Yes. I just yes. happen to be the, I'm just the resident John Carpenter. Nuts, I think so. you've been reserving <laughs> your place on this show since the first time we ever mentioned this show on this show a long, 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 long time ago. I can't remember when it was. Quite a while back. <laughs> Maybe like the first time we ever mentioned Kurt Russell, this one got name checked. But oh, um, yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, Really, I saw this on video when I was a kid with my friend Gareth, and he loved it, and I was kind of nonplussed by it. And then a few years later, a game called Mortal Kombat came out, and I was like, do you remember that film, Big Trouble in Little China? It's kind of, not it's not one-to-one, but and you guys, this will be very familiar with, uh, but... Like, you know, as a kid, it was revolutionary. I was like, hang on a second. Two warring clans of ninjas. One, okay, they're red, but imagine if they're blue and the other one's yellow. So you've got Scorpion and Sub-Zero there. You've got your Liu Kang and your Johnny Cage. You've got your Sonya Blade. You've got your Lord Raiden. You haven't got your Kano, okay? So I'll, I'll, I'll give it that it doesn't have a Kano, but it sure as hell has a Shang Tsung. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess the beast guy is Goro, Maybe, kind of. Um, yeah. it's, 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 it's pretty close. I you know, subsequently watched the Mortal Kombat movie over and over and over again and love the Mortal Kombat movie. And it's got the same mode, which is that Liu Kang is the hero in that and Johnny Cage is his sidekick. You know, in, in other terms, Johnny Cage would be the hero and, and Liu Kang would be his Kato. But uh, we, I think this, this movie may have subtly helped us progress beyond that point. To Mortal Kombat. To mo- yep. <laughs> <laughs> to the heady heights of 1995's Mortal Kombat. 
a movie yeah, which was good. The uh, yeah, the first one's great compared with Annihilation. We, we're going to do Mortal Kombat. Everything's great compared with Annihilation, except right. for the fact that there's almost no point doing Mortal Kombat because considering the We Hate Movies episode, which is which sublime, is amazing. Yes, I would have a problem with a Belgian Johnny Cage. That's you the know, thing. It's just, and also the speaking of Tom Cruise, though he was also offered this role. Yeah, I think they really thought they could make this movie bigger than it was. <laughs> oh yeah, they yes, tried yes. Spielberg, Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, we'll get all the luminaries, all the Hollywood hotshots for Mortal Kombat the movie. I'll tell you this, though. If they got any of those guys, they probably wouldn't have the money left over to, to afford Christopher Lambert, and then we would actually have an Asian Raiden. <laughs> like yeah, God heaven, intended. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. Raiden is played by an Asian gentleman. All right, well, if we're doing, I'm doing the PNL on this Mortal Kombat, we could either have Richard Harris as Shang Tsung... <laughs> Or and get get an Asian guy for Raiden, or we get an Asian guy for Shang Tsung, and we get Christopher Lambert for Raiden. But why is it Christopher Lambert? He doesn't do any fighting in this no, movie. He Hire Christopher Lee. Do you think it'd be loaded to put a um, a French fella in a um, in a Vietnamese hat? <laughs> well, he's kind of American too, actually. Is that is that okay? Is that weird to anybody else? <laughs> Oh, you know what, guys? Let's scrap this whole afternoon's meeting because it's 1995 and people don't care about that stuff. <laughs> Fuck it. Cast Christopher Lambert. No one's looking. Oh, by the way, uh, when we're talking about Raiden, we just have to quickly give credit to John Carpenter for inventing the character in Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All of Mortal Kombat is like, hey, if I line... Big Trouble in Little China up with Bloodsport. It is yeah. hysterical. But Mortal Kombat is mm. genuinely enjoyable and, and watchable. Another point that's worth mentioning is that um, th- uh, Movie Bob pointed this out, that The Rock has been sniffing around this particular property uh, to um, to basically reprise the role, well, to, to play Jack Burton in as The Rock. Sharon's holding her head in her hands. No? <laughs> Hang she, on. She's pointed out that needed charisma for it, but that's true. That what what Bob pointed out was that um Jack looks like a normal guy and you could sort of understand that um like you know he he might not be all that handy in a fight he believes he is but he's just a great big windbag and he is the um the big blowhard American sort of storming in there but not being all that effective. If the rock goes storming in there, you'd expect heads to roll. You'd expect him to just like, he's got to rock bottom thunder or rain or lightning at some point. You know, he's like, he's going to end up kicking ass. And ultimately it was just edging to the point of, uh, in 1986, just in terms of like the, the cultural implications, it like, would it, what Bob posits, would it not be better to it to do a Big Trouble in Little China style movie, uh, a, a, a spiritual successor and inspired by, rather than to directly do this? Yeah, because I don't think... Big Trouble yeah. Little China falls into the same category as Blazing Saddles. You can't remake Ooh, it. God, you yeah. Can't, no, you yeah. can't remake it. R.I.P.D. Gene Wilder, by the way. He had not passed when Neil said that a few days ago. But... Uh, very, very sad loss to us all. And you can't... I've, I've been reading the comics, and as enjoyable as they are, you can't sequel it either. Oh, really? I'm liking the comics, but as a sequel, it always feels unnecessary. As much as I enjoy reading it, and it's a lot of fun to read, but I just can't get over the fact that... Why am, Why does this even exist? Is that the comic uh, that you? had the weird because crossover with... Is that the comic that had the weird crossover with Snake Plissken? 
Not yet, uh, or at okay. least I haven't gotten to that point. I'm only on issue, I think, 14. This is a straight up, it picks up exactly where the movie leaves off. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you, uh, he names that demon thing, and it's actually, like I said, it's a lot of fun, but it's one of those, it reads like fan fiction. Gotcha. Okay, well, um, w- rather than doing this by character, uh, or, or doing this by subtext, or doing this by... Um, uh, craftsmanship of the movie um we have basically like bullet pointed the mm. events that happen in the movie like starting at the beginning and all, all the way through to the end so we can just talk about it as it goes along and you guys can pull out your favorite bits of it um but before we do- go to that like we've got some of the biggest big trouble and little china fans in the world on this podcast so we'd be remiss not to give you guys a chance to really talk about why why do you care about this movie to the point where you would actually like craft like Brendan craft your identity around uh, Jack so um i think uh, because you paid Brendan you get to go first on this one <laughs> okay um well it, it, in spite of my my twitter handle and and occasional persona uh Big Trouble is not my my favorite movie of all time, but it is basically cinematic comfort food for me because it it's very. I mean, you, you mentioned this a little bit, and, and Bob's uh, take on the remake uh, touches on this is that it's it's very much in on the joke of its own premise. Yeah, and the and, and this managed to to click for me because I saw it at just the right time when I was a teenager and sort of getting stuff like that. Um, in that Jack Burton as a character is he feels like he's cosplaying one of the 80s action heroes with the mullets and the <laughs> sleeveless shirts and the muscles, but he's not quite there. Mm. Um, you know, he doesn't look like Schwarzenegger or Rambo, but he looks like a guy who wants to be Schwarzenegger or Rambo when he grows up. And so much of, you know, action movies and, and sort of in that era was the white guy comes into the situation and sometimes it's in a, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a bizarre foreign area and the white guy comes in and solves their problems. And Jack Burton thinks he is in that movie and he is in reality very much not. He stumbles into Wang Chi's hero's journey where Wang Chi has like all of these things going on that's that's this very different sort of thing and jack burton is along for the ride it's like you're getting to see a uh, a version of star wars that's solely from r2d2 and c3po's point of view only if they were even more of a jerk i i can't say it's a really a, a great or a perfect movie but it's one of the greatest extended jokes in cinematic history <laughs> it, just in in terms of the character of jack burton himself uh, I mean, I can I can go on and go on and go on. So I mean, <laughs> someone's gonna have to jump in. Uh, one thing that I've I've always particularly liked about this is that there isn't a whole lot of winking and nodding at the audience. It allows the audience to understand the joke in and of itself, but it takes itself as seriously as Jack does, uh, even when it's being completely ridiculous. And that's the fun of it is that it invites you to be part of this ridiculous world. Um, I think a lot of that comes from uh, the person who doctored the script, uh, W.D. Richter, who mm. also did um, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. It's another one of my that, favorites. I've, uh, it's, of, it's always slightly pricey on DVD, so I'm like, eh, I'll wait and see it if it yeah. comes down in price. It was on Netflix for a short while. Okay, folks, this is, this is Jack Burton telling you right now. If you see something come up on Netflix and you're like, oh, I gotta see that, see it tonight, because otherwise it's gonna be gone in the morning, just like old Jack. 
<laughs> Maybe I did pick up a thing or two from this. Yeah, there you movie. go. <laughs> but uh, apparently, a lot of what ended up in this script uh, was originally supposed to be the sequel to Buckaroo Banzai, Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League, and uh, Richter used a lot of those elements that he couldn't make into his sequel and put it into this movie. And I can kind of see a lot of that same tone to it, and that's one of the things that I like about it is it took another one of my favorite movies and kind of made a spiritual successor to it in many ways. Which is what Alex was talking about, probably the best idea to do a, a if you're going to do a Big Trouble in Little yeah. China again. It's it's so much a product of the 80s. We don't have action stars like the ones that Burton is a riff on anymore. Mm. Um, e- even if you look at the the elements that are towing the line of being culturally insensitive, that culture doesn't exist in Chinatown the way it did back in the 1980s when there were more first rather than second or third generation immigrants. True. You know, it's it's just a very different sort of landscape and it's not a new world like they do in not. this where you turn into a you turn into an alley and you are in a completely different world where magic exists and there's an underworld and all of that. Well, also just the fact that so much of the movie is everyone filling Jack Burton in on this va- various mythology, whereas now, why would he not just pull out his smartphone and Google David Lopin and be like, oh, <laughs> that guy, I don't need half the movie to tell me what's going on now. I get it. Yeah. I, it Wikipedia did... actually lists all of the hells that they uh, <laughs> might encounter. It did occur to me, actually, that if you were going to remake That's the it, hell where you're poked slightly with a spoon. <laughs> Um, if you were going to remake it now, I, I think they would have to play the joke very differently. It mm. wouldn't be... Because um, th- th- this is one of the things that threw me a little bit, actually. It, Although I think the, the idea of it being satirical and the idea that, that Jack thinks he's the hero and everybody treats him like the hero, but he's actually not, is very definitely there, um, it, that doesn't go over quite so well these days and I think you'd, you'd have to turn it around so that Wang was very definitely the protagonist everything was going on around him we learned we we should learn much more about him mm. for a, a modern sensibility we need to know more about this character um, we need to see him interact with Mao Yin an awful lot more you know we need to know we know he cares about her because he keeps telling us but we need to see that we need to know why we should care about her so I think we would need much more of that. And the joke would need to be that Jack thinks he's the hero, but instead of everybody else treating him like the hero, like you get at the beginning of this when he's walking through the market and everybody's mm. sort of, you know, oh, hi, Jack. And when Jack's not on screen, everybody should be saying, where's Jack? And, you know, <laughs> he walks in having never played dominoes before in his life, manages to kick the ass of everybody in there. It. I think that the humour in a remake would need to be that Jack acts like he thinks he's the hero and everybody else knows he's not. Um, and, and I think you... you Make would it still, more overt, basically. Exactly. Yeah. You, you would still get a similar kind of... Uh, the, the tone of that, but I think you would get much more engagement from a modern audience if you actually give them the... Uh, bring those background characters forwards... Um, and allow them to provide the engagement and mm. the, the the heroic behaviour that you you kind of connect with. Because I have to admit, a lot of the way through this, I found myself thinking, can while we're here and Jack's doing his his funny thing, can we see more about what Wang's doing over in the other room? Because yeah. I, I would really like to see that right now. I definitely now. needed to see more Wang. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was so wondering how they far might have to change the name. Be grateful we got that long. That's, That's well. If you <laughs> if you take that that idea that Sharon's positing and and have every one of the supporting characters or you know just just every one of the other characters make it almost overt that they're acting like Jack is the hero in order to camouflage Wang Chi and give him a better chance of doing whatever he's doing is mm-hmm. you know they're just essentially painting a target on the big muscular guy and saying look at that don't pay attention to this stuff yeah. go follow tank. the send him forward yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jack we really need you to take this box and run at the enemy get as much attention <laughs> as possible See, this is the most important part of the mission you're so right that happens so often there was a couple of times when I started thinking is Jack basically Leroy Jenkins here everybody else devises a plan (laughs) that requires someone to throw themselves through that manhole cover or go and grab that girl or you know try and defend that girl who's being grabbed at an airport Jack is the idiot who will throw himself forward and do that there's literally a moment where he practically does that as they're escaping one of the times he's like you know okay everybody follow the leader one two three go opens the door wall of gangster you know guys shuts it (laughs) We may be trapped. Yeah. <laughs> that best delivery. That was my favorite line in the whole movie. Oh, um, Movies with Mikey posited, uh, by the way, check out Movies with Mikey, folks. It's a wonderful show. It's life-affirmingly good. Um, but Movies with Mikey posited that um, were Jack not to spend the whole movie believing he's the hero, he wouldn't have had the bluster and the, the moxie to be able to just snatch a knife out of the air. He wouldn't have believed he could do it. He needs to basically be there in that place and just keep pushing himself forwards. Otherwise, he wouldn't have actually had the forward momentum to actually save the day and kill Lopan. Mm. Well, that's part of the joke, isn't it, of, of Jack getting that same magic potion that everybody else does that's supposed to make them feel invincible. Jack already feels invincible. Yeah. He didn't need that magic he potion. He was Obelix. <laughs> and he fell into that magic potion as a baby. He fell into that cauldron as a baby and never needed any more. <laughs> His magic potion is being a straight white man in the 80s. That's exactly. all he needs. Yeah. I'm yes. definitely the hero. Yeah. And he does, he does manage to um, to be uh, to, to kind of represent this idea of what America can seem like to uh, to, to people who are not part of that culture, or at least I, I say what America can seem like, what America could seem like back in those days. Yeah. Um, that you know it, it's big and brash and blustery and has more boldness than the situation really calls for. Okay, we're about to elect Trump. How is it not like that right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's a, a different kettle of fish entirely. Um, but Our movies that, have changed. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But that that I think comes across better when he's in that role, when he is the only white guy surrounded by um, you know all these uh, these Chinese characters who are engaged in their own war that yeah. he has absolutely nothing to do with, mm. and yet he barges in there and, and you know tries to get involved in this that and everything, and um, you know it, it's it's made blind blindingly apparent on numerous occasions that he has not gone back to Chinatown with Wang to help him. He is there to get his money and nothing more. And his truck. And his truck, yeah, past a certain point. Which was going to be a horse when uh, he was, this was originally a Western. Originally written as a And Western, yeah. notably, he wears saddlebags at one point. He uh, does. Uh, just going in and going out of he the movie. He carries them over his turns shoulder. Up, it's like brilliant. a cowboy hero. Yeah. Which really emphasises that kind of John Wayne mm. impression that he's he's doing the whole time. You know, he thinks he is this old cowboy hero and he's, I don't think he even has it in mind that he's going to save the day. He just comes in and throws himself at things. Mm. Because, you know, why? Why, why think about that kind of 
stuff while that's He's going very on. Han Solo-y as well. Let's not forget the incredible influence of Han Solo. Yeah. And Which is no accident given that he tried out for the role. Oh, of course he did, yeah. Oh. Does always make you wonder what kind of Han would he work just as well as Han Solo? And I kind of think he would. I think so. Can say, I, I yeah. had a massive crush on Kurt Russell when I was younger, and I was very nonplussed by Harrison Ford, so I think I possibly would have taken more interest in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> They'd both have done it funny. They'd both have been probably the best things in, in, uh, in the first two, but not the third. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, Neil, you haven't really talked about your, your take on this yet. It, growing up, it's you know, I it's one of those films that I watch with my dad a lot, so I just have a, a, a just great love for it, and it's just it's, it was just one of those that just uh, it just hit at the right time for me where I I got the joke and just loved all the jokes in it at the time, and I still find a lot of it very funny, especially when the fact that you literally turn on the street corner and you are in a Hong Kong movie. Yeah, and it's just nuts. And even Lyra was fooled. End- Lyra actually thought it was in China, and I was like, we were like, no, 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 this is in part of San Francisco. She said, shouldn't it be called Big Trouble in Big China? And I said, no, it's, <laughs> it's Little China. We had to explain what that meant. I still think one of my favourite gags is towards the end of the film when they're trying to make their escape and it goes full Looney Tunes on you with the yeah. monster behind the mask, and that makes me crack up every time. Yeah. Mm. Although I ran into a weird problem watching this film. Oh yeah. I very much struggle to take Lopan very seriously at all anymore, uh-huh. given who it is. Yeah, I mean... Trilogy of films he's in now. If you're a Kung Fu Panda fan, it's just lovely hearing him, even playing a villain. You know, Especially like, playing I, I a villain. I can't hear his voice and not think he's a duck and he's about to yes. order the noodle soup. You're with the noodle dream, Jack! How <laughs> <laughs> do I say this? Where did I come from? Well, you see, uh, son, uh, baby geese come from a, a little egg. Uh, don't ask me where the egg comes from. Dad, that's not what I meant. I know it's not. Uh, I think it's time I told you something I should have told you a long time ago. Okay. You might have been kind of... Uh, Adopted. I knew it. I tell you what helps, though, to take him more James seriously. James Hong, by the way. Let's uh, let's call him by name. Absolutely fantastic yes. performance. Um, but, um, but stay yeah. away, 2016. That's what I'm saying now. Every time I like, I watch James Earl Jones yeah. in Coming to America. I'm like, stay away, 2016. Watch 2016. The, you, Dr. Wong is in danger. Judy Dench. You know, get the fuck out of here. Mm. Um, Sorry, carry on. Uh, carry on. By the way, um, to Zack Snyder's over that way, 2016, go. Yeah. Oh, oh, God, that's terrible. You can't say oh, that, wow. Neil. Oh, wow. That's mean. Okay. Um, <laughs> Only somewhat. Only towards his career, not him. Okay, take, take Zack Snyder's career. He can go spold sweaters with Jai Courtney, who now is out of work, considering his Captain Boomerang did not exactly fly. Mm. You are oh. staffing Gap. Well, yeah, well, Gap needs sweater folders. So it yeah. appears. Um, all we need to do is get Michael Bay in there, and we will be eternally grateful. Of course, Zach, Zach's going to be called aside by the uh, middle manager. It's like, Zach, you can't fold sweaters in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to do it in well, fast motion. But I speed up at the end of every yeah, final. Yeah, so it evens <laughs> out. <laughs> he only folds the sweaters that are kind of dull in color, none of the bright ones. Oh, nice. He won't yeah. go near the colors. You know, I can't see colors. 
You've cut the women's wear department in half, Zach. It's just not plausible. <laughs> okay, right, carry on. Uh, who was talking about... Um, no, I was uh, going to say regarding James Hong. Um, the, the character of... Um, if that's Man. not the title of his autobiography, then I will write for him whether he wants me to or not. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot easier to take him seriously if you kind of imagine him as um, a version of Gary Oldman's Dracula. Yes. <laughs> Although now that I think about it, I kind of wish he'd also been Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat. Your soul is yeah. mine. You know what's really weird, just to sidetrack for a second? It's very weird because that same actor appears in the Tekken movie as Hayachi. Oh, yeah, he does. And it's like, no, you're Shang Tsung, you can't be Hayachi as well. Yeah. That makes my brain melt. Actually, that, that's pretty well cast, though, because uh, he's, he's got that whole, whole kind of, you know, the big boss thing going on. Also, every time you see him in a film, you know he's the baddie. Yeah. Is it, I, was he in Rising Sun as well? I was like, well, Shang Tsung did it. You know, end of, end of detective case right now. He did it. Like, there you go, Sean. You're welcome. Wesley, we, we just solved it for you. It was, it was the bad. <laughs> that film just ends. Do you ever actually sit and watch Rising Sun? Yep. It just ends. Suddenly, yeah. like... like Wait a second, there's the supposed to be just a... ends too. Jesus, did they just yeah. rip out the last quarter of it? There's it, supposed to be a big chase and a big uncovering and the business no. goes to shit. No, it's again, I'd rather watch Black Rain. Oh, okay. I've never seen Black Heck Rain. Yeah. Black Rain is good. Yeah, I, I will watch it, if, if only for the Hans Zimmer score and early Ridley Scott and Michael Douglas and that uh, Japanese actor who ended up being cast post-mortem in the second Onimusha game as the hero. Now, Black Rain is almost what would happen if you played Big Trouble in Little China straight. Oh, yeah. I really have to watch it. it. Yes, yeah. um, but I, you know, talking about James Hong, I, he is. It, it is weird to. There's a little bit of dissonance kind of coming back to this after being more familiar with his Mulan or Kung Fu Panda material. But it is so fun just watching him chew into this because he gets to do so many different bits. You know, he gets to be, you know, the 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 sorcerer, the 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 little old man in the wheelchair who's just like cackling around and and he has and they only share about like five lines with each other but he has great screen chemistry with Victor Wong and Egg Shen he he just take every opportunity just to have fun with it yeah he goes ballistic and, with that uh, the 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 pin at the end he's going he's just <laughs> just getting needle happy it's just this, how much of the scenery can I chew <laughs> he's just so happy to be mortal. I don't think he's he really is. thought that one through, either. I, I think he's very much not thinking past the wedding night at that point. Well, it, Actually, it, I'm thinking very hard about the wedding night. He doesn't eat an apple. <laughs> yes. Which is like the thing, oh. the all demon spirits, anything that's that's kind of tempted with human form. I'm going to eat a whole bushel of apples. Yeah, they always want to eat apples. Don't write in saying that's racist. It's not. I'm doing specifically James Hall. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. James Hong. You can't help that James Hong is in fact uh, doing a racist thing to himself. Yep. Yeah, good point, actually. But I mean, like <laughs> James Hong, when he's uh, like he speaks like that when he's um, Cassandra's father in Wayne's World too, as well. Yes. Yeah, he does. I'm not in Wayne's World. Jing Tao Bian, Jeff. Me think my mind is all deleting. Very well. If that is your custom, prepare to die. Wait, if we must fight, I insist we fight in badly. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Which then he ends up doing a uh, uh, John Wayne impression. Uh, you know what? Actually, 
that that gag, I think I mentioned this before on the podcast, doesn't work anymore. No, actually, I didn't mention it yet. I will mention it when we do um, Meet the Robinsons, because dubbed kung fu movies have now passed out of living memory for uh, young, the younger generation. They just, they don't even exist. That kind of old, you know, ah, I see you have a new stance. You know, like lips moving out of sync. That's just, that's just gone now. Which, to which end, that actually affects Big Trouble in Little China. Mm, it does have an impact. The closest we've been able to come, actually, was when we watched the um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Dragon sequel on Netflix. Oof. It was because it was recorded in English, yeah. but it didn't feel right watching it in English. We watched it with the Chinese um, dub. In, in Cantonese or Mandarin? Uh, uh, I'm not the sure. The original was Mandarin, which is yeah. a lot harder than Cantonese. But um, So we watched it with English subtitles and, and uh, Chinese language dub, mm. and you kind of got a slightly similar effect because the mm. words didn't match. Yeah. So it was like a weird reverse version of that. Mm. And, but on the side note, the original Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a masterpiece. The sequel is nice. It's good. It's got, um, you know, it, it's it's not worthy of the original, but it's it's it feels like it could take place in that universe, sort of, kind of, and it could have been a lot worse. So it's it's worth watching if you're a fan, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to sit proudly alongside the original in a steelbook. Mm. It's kind of weird when you say the whole badly dub thing because I grew up with those, so I'm just so yeah. used to that. So it, it never even occurred to me that part of the sort of thing it's lampooning is it's not there in sort of the pop culture for newer, for younger people. God, well, you've you've so got to think about what came after Big Trouble and what has come between then and now uh, in terms of uh, martial arts in the cinema and in terms of general action movies in the cinema. Um, Martial arts, we had like basically the early 90, late eighties, early nineties was when Jackie Chan started filtering into America with his dubbed kind of police story type films. But then, was it? I want to say Rush Hour was his. No, hang on. You know what? I, I don't want to attest to that one. But Rumble in the Bronx was his first big American release, and uh, then yeah, after the police story films, and then Rush Hour was his first actual Western film. And Rush Hour is Big Trouble in Little China. Because um, Lee in that is the hero going through his journey. And Chris Tucker, uh, James Carter, the detective, is the one who thinks he's the the hero coming along and messing everything up. In fact, Shanghai Noon is even more so because that's actually a Western. Yeah. And Chang Wan is the hero. Ah, nice uh, Roy Roy thinks he's the hero because he's the cowboy, but he's actually not. Both of those films, by the way, are excellent, especially Shanghai Noon. It's got incredible cinematography as well. Mm. But director Tom Day, who's done not much of anything else since then, probably went off to TV. But, but Skip the sequel didn't happen. Skip the other sequel to Rush Hour. Especially, the other especially Rush Hours. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, Hang on, is Rush Hour like Brett Ratner's only good film? Brett Ratner's good film, those words do not make <laughs> sense, but it's true. <laughs> Rush Hour is definitely worth watching. Yeah, but definitely do not watch two or yeah, three. Yeah. Especially three. I've do never seen three. Oh. I gave up at two. Two is the one where... Was that one where where, where Michelle Yeoh fights Donnie Yen or Jackie Chan fights Donnie Yen? And it was like, how could you possibly squander this? Or was that Shanghai Nights? I can't remember. One of them did, and it was distressingly boring to watch. I think that was Shanghai Nights, and then they blow up Donnie Yen with fireworks or something, the same way yeah. they did in Mulan. Oh, right, with Shan Yu. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Shanghai so, Nights is the one we saw in New York. I yeah. barely caught We went to New York. We were completely knackered. And we were like, while well, we're in New York and completely knackered, let's watch a, mo- a movie, a shit movie that we could see in a week's time back home. Why did we do that? I don't know. We had like 12 Good idea hours. at the time. We hadn't slept for 48 hours. <laughs> we were exhausted. Oh. I think it was just like a, a weird, like almost like a New York pub crawl at that point. Yeah. It was very expensive and we were very stupid because we were young and we thought, oh, that'd be good. We just need to get to New York and experience it. No, spend longer than a weekend, folks. Yes. <laughs> That's just another tip from old Jack Burton. longer than a weekend and then get stuck in Pittsburgh for a 10-hour delay. Yeah. Okay, so Jackie Chan came in and then Jet Li had his uh, period of being, you know, huge in cinema. K- Kiss the Dragon, the one, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, Ro- Romeo is bleed. Was it Romeo is bleeding? Romeo, Romeo, Romeo must die. die. Romeo, Romeo is bleeding. You can't see it blood. Um, yeah, Romeo must die. Big and popular, especially with the ladies. But, um, you know, so he had his thing. But this was around about the time that The Matrix came out. And The Matrix, yeah. followed swiftly by Crouching Tiger, but then more significantly by Kill Bill, with uh, its uh, uh, Yen Wu Ping action scenes, and then Charlie's Angels just like horribly aping it. Um, uh, it's much to my chagrin that one of the um, best prodigy songs ever, the only time it ever appears in cinema, is in Charlie's Angels over that fight scene. Um, but that basically brought martial arts to American action movies, which had no connection at all to Asian cinema necessarily after that. Because basically it was open season at that point. After that, Everything Tom Cru- became The Matrix. Yeah, everything became The Matrix, especially Resident Evil. Tom Cruise is doing cartwheels on a beach. Um, it's it, it just like that, the, the gloves were off at that point, and martial arts became part of the American action movie scene, which is why going back from now is going to be oddly risky. And which is also why doing Kung Fu Panda is like a respectful version of this. You know, like like straight mm. out setting out to sort of explore Chinese culture and incorporate that into the animation. One of the things I find that is almost a, an accidental merit of Big Trouble in Little China, and it's kind of similar to Last Action Hero in that way, is that mm. it, it feels like it was just a little bit ahead of its time yes. in the way it was doing certain things and approaching its own humor and approaching its its subject matter mm. um, because there was basically nothing like Big Trouble in terms of American depictions of lots of kung fu action with those heavy fantasy elements. I mean, you had Bruce Lee's movies and you had imports from Hong Kong and, and Asian cinema, but you didn't have a lot of big name action adventure like i mean john carpenter was never spielberg but you know after escape from new york and halloween at least putting his name on something was enough to get a little bit of recognition so you know you you didn't really have people just putting fantasy martial arts in american movies almost at all yeah and and it's 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 influence was so obvious to our our visual language that when lopan and egg shen have their little like magic ring fight mm-hmm. that's basically the birth of the fighting game like that that visual depiction of those two guys you know from a um from that particular angle that i mean it's very obvious that it inspired mortal combat but it's it's not a hard jump to go from that to street fighter either yeah so it's it's had a lot of so, i mean you've got wang chi running doing a wall run almost what, 15 years before Neo ever did that in slow motion? Yep. So there's there's just uh, a lot of years. stuff. That, yeah. 
Yeah, Actually, yeah. yeah so that's uh, within the space of just a, a, a few months. Uh, the the Matrix brought the martial arts forwards, and uh, George Lucas brought the racism forwards. So you know, all kinds <laughs> of stuff got exported into ninety nine. Yeah, uh, when I was watching that early uh, fight scene though between the Chang Sing and the Wing Kong, I could not help but the Matrix was the first thing I thought. Of. I'm like, it it has a lot of Matrix elements to it, but it's a little bit more restrained. It doesn't quite go to the lengths that we have kind of become accustomed to mm. because of the Matrix and because of its um, followers. There wasn't a ton of huge slow motion aerial wire work, for example. Also, I exactly, think there's, yeah. there's something very specific about the way that ba- that street battle is set up. Um, you're not meant to be watching any one particularly standout amazing display mm. of martial arts. It is meant to be incredibly confusing. Jack and those who are kind of with Jack aren't supposed to know what's going on. Yeah. It's just everybody blasting into each other. Movies with Mikey pointed out that, uh, that all these Asian guys turn up with a whole bunch of weapons and uh, you, you would expect them to then go charging in and immediately go at each other um, Asian style. But they start blasting at each other, it's sort of like a, a, a Chicago gangsters from the 30s entirely american style so um he points out that's your fault for being racist if you thought that they were going to do that um but then uh after that the the movie he compares it to and he's on the money is gangs of new york they're hacking at each other with all these like butterfly knives and things and like smashing planks on each other's heads but not in a cartoonish way also great visual gag of bringing a knife to a gunfight oh yeah i I said that didn't i say that you did yeah Yeah. (laughs) That's Chekhov's knife, by the way. Take that Jack has it the whole way through the movie, and it comes in incredibly useful at the end. And it's it's basically the only like he sort of uses it once, but it's by accident, and it incapacitates him for half the fight. And then he actually uses it for one ridiculously effective thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a again, it's a beautiful extended joke. Yeah. Uh, but but to yeah. talk about that particular fight is is even in the context of that, there's a lot of really kind of, and I'm not sure how intentional they are. But just there's one particular Chang Sing warrior who gets thrown through a window mm-hmm. and then he comes crashing through another window to jump at a guy instead of going back through the broken window. He, he decides <laughs> to break another one. That's like and, uh, there's a jo- uh, a bit in uh, Face Off where during the uh, shootout in, in the, the, the enemy hideout home um, where one of the thugs because the SWAT team are coming in, deliberately jumps through a plate glass window sideways to shoot at them because, like, it'll it'll throw them off or something or just because it looks good. Like, he's dead. You jump through a window on purpose, <laughs> you die straight away. That's, that's how you're going to die, sir. Actually, there's a bit with glass in The Nice Guys, the new Shane Black movie, uh, which oh, I yeah. urge every single one of you out there to go and get on Blu-ray. It's I'm buying the Blu-ray as soon as I'm done recording with you guys, actually. <laughs> It's not out over here yet, so uh, uh, we're going to have to wait to the 29th of September. But as soon as it's out, folks, get it. If you especially if you like to kiss, kiss, bang, bang, it's even better. Also, if we're going to mention glass and making you cringe, no, Die no, Hard. No, oh, of course. Are we? Oh, actually, no, now that you mention it, yeah, Die Hard changed the way action. Thank you, Neil. Die Hard changed the way that action movies went because, like, you know, it went past the swagger of the 80s and the unkillable hero and the, you know, John Matrix and the, you know, like, suiting up and just basically just, like, Schwarzenegger or Stallone being totally unwoundable, which, interestingly, Rambo wasn't unwoundable to begin with, but then he was. 
Um, <laughs> well, just like love John McClane. One and two. Yeah, good point. Yeah, he becomes uh, less woundable the uh, the more sequels happen. Um, but uh, but yeah. They, uh, by the way, folks, Rambo series. We did it all in one recorded podcast. Coming soon. It's already done. It's Ooh. it's. Uh, it's See, the only it's one of those journey. films I like is, is the first one. Yeah, me too. The first one's fantastic. Yeah. Although the second one uh, we found unintentionally hilarious, just in terms of the um, the way that it, portray- it kind of makes America look. Um, anyway, so but but yeah, Die Hard, huge huge sea change for for the way action movies uh, happen. And then throughout the nineties, it became less about the uh, the, the gun toting hero and more about kind of you know like uh, aliens or PG thirteen related uh, action going on. And like you know, Mission Impossible, there's a lot less bloodshed. You know and uh, aside from in the Bond resurgence, where he's just capping fools all over the place, but he was just being James Bond, and he always was. Um, but but then the superhero came along and changed the uh, ch- changed what uh, action the action hero is as well. And Fast and the Furious kind of brought it back a little bit with uh, the the Rock's career. I don't even know what. The Rock would be like in this kind of film because he's he's done a bunch of different action movies and he's kind of different in every single one of them. I, he doesn't have yes, like a he'd definitive. Yes, he's closer to his character. I, I I would see it as close to his character, perhaps in the rundown. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, that that's probably see, the closest it gets to this because then you've got the you know the the cheeky American who thinks he's the hero, but in actual fact, it's the 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 guy standing next to him. Couldn't well, yeah, I want to see if that's going to be the case? Surely, be cool. Wouldn't it be better for there to be a, like a, a really obnoxious white guy and The Rock and um, and make it like a, a bunch of Samoan gangs? Huh? <laughs> so The Rock's the actual this. hero, but uh, there's this other guy who basically is making himself look like the hero. I don't know. We'd need some maybe Ryan Reynolds. Oh, there you go. Whoa. Oh man, that would be fun. Oh man, those two together. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. You done beat me up, let's go. <laughs> but The Rock is, I mean, he's even bigger than he was in the rundown. Like, in the rundown, he was kind of normal, really big guy size. Mm. These days, The Rock looks like he ate the version of himself. <laughs> I look like Mark Wahlberg ate Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Sorry, that was... That was oh my God. No, 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 no. I've assembled all <laughs> Why is it I, me as the wrestling fan, never makes that joke? And it's always you. I know. It's because I watch uh, Jack's films all the time. Ah, well, it breaks my heart to do this, Wang, but I figure next time I'm down here, you just gang up on poor old Jack so fast, he won't know what the hell happened. No. Ah, sure. Easy come, easy go, huh, Wang? No! Not next time. Now. Is this going to get ugly now, huh? I hope not, because I thought what we were here, racial differences notwithstanding, was just a couple of old friends, you know, just both of us Californians. Ah, shit, Wang, it's only a game. Nothing or double. This knife cuts this ball in half. Nothing or double. Bullshit. Nothing or double, Jack. Why, man, don't be stupid. I need the money. I got near a thousand bucks here, Wang. 1,148, Jack. Okay. But not that bottle. This bottle. 
okay? You're out of your mind, Wang. God bless you. It's all in the reflexes. The reflexes thing I noticed at the beginning was set up twice. The um, he, when the first time you meet Jack Burton, he's talking about it's all about the reflexes, and then the uh, when. Uh, Wang hits the bottle with a knife and Jack catches it. That basically sets up uh, the power of three. Now, you'd expect the third to come pretty soon after that because that's how the power of three works. But they save it. They store it up for the rest of the movie for that final knife throw. So, that's, so by uh, the time you get to that, you've almost forgotten it. Yeah, yeah. You, see, that's the thing. Like to, to do a film where, during the action, exactly what you expect happens, you are doing the audience a great disservice. It's, it's far better to uh, make something that they didn't expect happen, but then when they think about it, it was set up carefully earlier on and they just forgot about it. Yeah. That's why that alley fight works, because of course you're going to use guns at first because it's the 20th century, there are guns, but yeah. eventually you run out of bullets. So yeah, yeah you're going to bring guys who know how to punch each other and break boards over each other's heads. Um, just quickly before we move on from the... Um, the uh, battle in the alleyways by the way it it struck me when jack drives into the truck uh sorry it struck me when jack drives into the with into the alley with the truck with yeah. the truck for the first time the way that shot is framed it's like you're looking at it thinking how the hell is he getting this beast round these corners and then that's the point the truck is the big american muscle that shouldn't be here so how long did it take you to notice that it was uh, James Hong who sees them in the alley right as they enter before anything goes down? I only noticed that this most recent time I saw it. It's just a random shot of him with, like, holding a shoe, wearing bum clothes or something. Yeah, yeah. Lopan is everywhere. And actually, uh, hats off to them. You've, you've just sent me a picture of Lopan when we were podcasting about something else. And it was enough to completely freak me out and make me want to punch my <laughs> computer. The, the actual... Um, the, the deathly white makeup and the, the the fact that he glides around the place and the the, the you know the, the scary nails and the um like the he's basically Mumra, you know like he, he yeah. like he's this sort of old wizened like monkey skeleton in the chair and then he he kind of transcends his fleshy form and turns into a ghost who sort of you know flies around the place scaring the shit out of people. He does and. There's actually quite a bit of, like, decent optical effects related to that. I mean, there's some special effects in this that aren't great, but the the bit where he's an old man and starts glowing from the inside and his pinky fingernail grows out... You just that's... gave me the picture again in the chat, you bastard! Stop doing that! <laughs> I just... What, 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 was it that one? I just couldn't remember, it Alex. Was I'm sorry. Was... Thank you very much indeed <laughs> for my nightmares. Carry on, sorry. So yeah, but Shang Tsung has in fact two long pinky uh, claw nails. He in fact he he uses them during the uh, the final fight with Egg. He's going ah ha ha. Yeah, he's almost using joysticks or something. It's it's really yeah. weird twiddling them. Yeah. Also, I don't know how he moves his fingers like that. I can't do that, but it looks so awesome. He's double jointed, perhaps. Actually, speaking of which, um, examine the exact frames of that fight when Egg and uh, he are exchanging spiritual blows. It's Yoda versus the Emperor in Revenge of the Sith. 
Mm. I am very depressed to say, but George Lucas watched this movie over and over again and went, boy, howdy, that's a good time at the cinema. The scene where the two of them fight, in this film, that the point that they're actually not fighting, they're fighting on a spiritual plane and there's these two spiritual warriors engaging in the actual physical combat, They un- Carpenter understood that. And if you go all the way back to that episode that I did on uh, Reven- we did on Revenge of the Sith, uh, I said exactly, I wasn't even thinking about this film, but I, I said that that fight needed to take place on another plane entirely. It shouldn't have involved lightsabers at all. Um, but the actual, like, the way that uh, uh, Egg sort of pulls his hand back and goes, ah, and he looks like Yoda as well, uh, that's Yoda sort of absorbing the Sith lightning. It's, it's, yeah, he almost does the exact same thing in episode two with Dooku, too, doesn't yep. he? Yeah, he's kind of yeah. like, he's taken elements for both those fights, and uh, uh, ultimately, he, he's in. Lucas. Okay, I could go on and on about the prequels, but the problem with the, the, the particular fights in, the, in question there is that he's trying to have his cake and eat it. You can either make it a deeply spiritual fight, which takes place on another plane that we can't even fathom, or have laser swords. You can't have both. If but, Alex, if there are. If there are more laser swords, that makes it better, you see, because if you've then got it laser binds, swords, but... there's physical <laughs> you're bound to Where the Where do physical, you think toys come from, limitation. Alex? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's the point that like, if Dooku fights Obi-Wan and Anakin with the laser swords and then goes, Oh, bollocks to this, and then starts, you know, affecting them with his Sith powers, and then Yoda comes in and goes, Someone need you whom asses can kick. And uh, and basically Yoda then takes over and does the stuff which they can't even comprehend. That way you keep Yoda like a super badass without him having to go and do his sort of leaping around the place looking hilarious. And, you know, I think like everyone loved that the first time around. But uh, it's uh, ultimately, I think that was a mistake. Well, one of many, many bajillions of mistakes in the prequels. See previous episode here. You'll notice, by the way, that Egg does not engage in sword fighting. He doesn't. No. He's well, always He's got a guy for that. He's got a guy for that. Like, Bingo. he's got Wang Chi with the magic sword from the weird warehouse for that. That's, Bingo. That's the Emperor has his Darth Maul. That's his attack dog. And Yoda has his Obi-Wan. Well, as far as that particular bit aging poorly, after you rewatch Muppet Treasure Island and realize that they're essentially doing the Kermit Tim Curry fight, except, you know, way worse. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you, Frog. I don't know if that's actually what he says, but uh... it's funny you should. It might as well be. It, it's I'll funny you should on. say that though, because um, Lyra said when we watched it today uh, that they looked like they were playing a video game, and it occurred to me that it looks like particularly Lopan is puppeteering his uh, spiritual warrior with his mm. thumbs. Yeah, you, just, you, you link. Was it? You link your pinkies together and he then just waggle his, your thumbs. No, 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 he crosses his fingernails. Oh yeah, and then the the green light comes he out. And then his thumbs do this, almost like he's got strings attached to them. Or oh, indeed an As invisible joypad. I say, joy do pad. this. It's a podcast. You can't see what I'm doing. I'm just wiggling my thumbs. Brilliant. <laughs> Sorry. People could watch the movie and then they'd know what you're doing. Well, yeah. this is true, yes. The, oh, well, Carpenter's actually got some canny, canny tricks that he does with his with his camera and framing. There's 
there's a few shots in this movie that are way smarter than than they initially look like the you know the alley fight has a bit where a guy does a spinning back kick towards the camera and then the camera spins in the direction of a guy's head getting knocked around to to emulate the feeling of that or or at the very end egg shen throws like the last grenade at the guys who are shooting guns at jack as they're escaping the camera pushes on pushes on egg and then it zooms back out just a bit to mimic the motion of Egg's arm going back and forward. Mm. And Carpenter, he's not a showy director in the way he sets up a lot of his shots, but he's he's very, very functional and very skillful in a lot of ways that are easy to overlook, which is which is part of why I think this, this movie was more influential than you would at first think at first glance. Mm. It, it just feels right in so many ways in terms of the... Mm. The, the way it's visually representing its material. Yeah, I know what you mean about um, some of the camera work, the shot where they're in the elevator and the water starts to come in. Because that's an aerial shot, it looks dangerous immediately, whereas if it was side-on and you just had, like, an inch of water in the bottom, it would be quite a while before you started to think... Oh, oh no, actually, I chose a wet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, by the way, what were the reasons that they went to that warehouse? Because I was, I was trying to make like sense of the film as it went along i was like bullet pointing this happens then this happens because of that and i was trying to basically okay. do so. jack's job like if he was taking notes and making like trying to make it clear which i was he like wasn't, he which wasn't he wasn't paying attention. Yeah. he was just going what i don't understand the whole time but <laughs> I, I was like the one bit i fell down on was, why did they go to the warehouse okay well they go to, all right they went to the white tiger because that's where gracie law told them that mao yin had been taken interjection then, can i just say that the white tiger scene did not need to happen at all it's really uncomfortable it <laughs> the, didn't need to although it, henry swanson is delightful to watch it's it's funny yeah. to see uh, kurt russell basically play that character it didn't need to be in a brothel um at, but just the you could probably maybe have done it just made it a sort of a sort of oh this is a sexy brothel but then you cut to meow yin on a bed like uh, uh, well, basically, when when he when, when Kurt Russell says, "I like him fresh off the boat," and I'm thinking, fresh out of the uh, shipping containers where they take sex slaves out of, and then you cut to Miao Yin on the bed, and she's got like a gag, and she's sort of tied up, and it's like that bit in LA Confidential, and I just thought, Ugh. and um, or taken, if you will, maybe taken. Um, and yeah. uh, then the lightning comes down, and he like like the context of that, and the context of a demon coming through the roof with his lightning, and like grabbing her and taking her away. It just doesn't make any sense. Why couldn't they just have like snatched her from the fight? Like it just that there was a way of condensing that without there being that thing happening i think but yeah it's not the first time that uh, uh john carpenter has been unnecessarily nasty and it sure as shit ain't the last time <laughs> yeah we yeah. we were a lot we more vampires the this. other week oh god oh, yeah. oh. i'm so sorry it's not very nice about our treatment of sex workers a while ago yeah. it's a uh, uh, as was uh, john carpenter in vampires <laughs> Like fair play to them for for actually doing something about it later in the movie. They're like, oh yeah, these these women that are kept in terrible conditions. Let's let's not leave them here. Let's get them the f out. Yeah, they made it um, a plot point. But but yeah, they you know they go to the warehouse because they they're like, oh wait, the 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 lords of death who snatched her for the white tiger are actually working for the Wing Kong. So we have to go to the Wing Kong import export and change because that's where the storms probably brought Mao Yin. So let's go there. And, and Jack Burton has no idea why he's going. He just knows that Wang's going, and he's not going to look like less of a tough guy. 
As I just know I my Wang's up. going to this place, and I'm going to follow, follow him. <laughs> oh my god! If you look at it like that, it's a completely different story. Wang doesn't even exist. He's actually That's just the personification of Jack's penis. Or no, 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 the other way around. <laughs> Jack doesn't really exist. He's the American that Wang wants to be because Wang Chi is totally a child of two cultures in uh, this. Okay, explain that. Right, he he's okay. He does believe in all of this Chinese mythology and culture that he's he's Ancient surrounded Chinese by. Secret, huh? He is unlike More Wayne's World. Uh, Eddie, who is quite dismissive of it. He does seem to um, to kind of accept that it is it exists and it is real. However, he doesn't completely um, get absorbed in it mm. the way somebody like um, like Egg Shen does um, he still kind of keeps it a little bit at arm's length particularly when he's talking to Jack because he thinks that's not how he wants to portray himself um, in front of the American and when they get to the bit where they take the magic potion the toast that he gives mm. is an entirely American toast and Jack does not reverse it he, uh, rather than he says that may the uh, wings of freedom not lose a single feather, he doesn't mention Chinese culture at all. Mm. He just goes, "Yeah, American shit. That's all I know." <laughs> Whereas at the end, yeah. I suppose if you're going to say the slightest amount of growth that occurs in the movie is that Jack's a little bit more sort of sympathetic to Chinese culture, little tiny bit. Mm. Uh, that, yeah, he says like you know we sure shook the gates of heaven, like using an idiom from that he's learned along the way. Yeah, well, and he specifically, you know, asks Egg about, you know, going back to the motherland and visiting China. He's he's less, you know, I mean, he he really doesn't have much growth in terms of a character because that's that's really not the point of his character. But it, but in in regards to what you were saying, Sharon, like Wang even puts on a, an American, you know, sort of affectation. I'm just a poor old Chinese boy. Like he, you can tell he wants to be seen in a certain way, especially when he's hanging around his very bluff American friend. So, I mean, I'm not sure I would go so far as to say it's a, it's a, like, Jack and Tyler Durden thing, but it's, oh, it's no. very... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 I know, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, if it's, if it's one way or the other around, mm. I would say that's, that's the way around it is. Besides Actually, which, we only loosely hold on to crazy fan theories. Absolutely. I've, I've, you know, you, we encounter people who are just like, no, no, this is actually the thing. Like, mm. I've read it like this, and it's actually true. Um, whereas, you know, this, no, it's just your headcanon. That's fine, but, you know, weird yeah. about it. Although, again, going back to the idea of, of how they might tweak it if they were going to remake it, I honestly think that, right, Gracie needs to do more and the mm. focus needs to be on the three of them because basically you've got... There's Jack way too many characters. Now Yin needs to do something. That would she doesn't be, do anything. Yeah, she doesn't that even would be speak. Helpful. But um, ultimately, the, the three of them work as uh, Jack as the hand, mm -hmm. Gracie as the head, mm -hmm. and uh, Wang as the heart. Oh my god, it's Hermione, Harry, and uh, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Jack is Ron. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much. But but the there are too many characters. There's no reason for Margot to be in the movie. There's barely any reason for Eddie to be in the yeah. movie. There's just too many characters. And the, uh, and the I, Wang's uncle doesn't really need to be there because basically, like Wang's uncle could have been Egg. Yeah, yeah. Margot does everything Gracie should have done. Yeah, or just yeah. get Margot. Just, just there have Margot. Yeah, Margot's yeah. the reporter and Gracie's the. She's lawyer. A lawyer. Lawyer. Mm. Yeah. Margot is, is just there to do a joke about exposition. To do yeah. an exposition joke. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean David Lopan, the guy who blah, blah, blah. Just, it, it, I thought it was a hilarious joke, but that is really her job is just to do that one joke and then uh, move on. I groaned at that because I was thinking, Are they, is this serious? Like, is this just 
Okay, yeah, I, I think next time I will laugh. If that was intentional, I'll laugh then. I mean, Gracie is at the airport in the first place because she's meeting her friend Tara, who she's expecting Tara to didn't have need to be in it. Um, uh, issues with her immigration. Just make her there to meet Mao Yin. Yeah. And if that but this is why whole, she wants to get involved. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, kind of my my problems with this movie if they were fixed it wouldn't be the joke about that Jack doesn't understand it because it's too convoluted because it's too convoluted uh, if you fixed it and made it more streamlined then Jack would completely understand it You'd go okay so the old guy's taking the girl away we gotta go rescue her fine um, but there's all of this sort of like ah this and that and the other and this gang and that gang and blah 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 and did it tum tum so how do you update that or you have to over push the joke that Jack doesn't get it because he doesn't want to get it he's, he's mm. he doesn't understand it because he's not paying attention when people give him the very clear explanation because this now it's, it's seeming like Kung Fu Panda Four like um, Master Shifu then explains like sixteen different things to Poe and then we sort of tune out and we tune back in and Poe's this sort of scrunching up his face sort of listening to the end he's like yeah kind of lost you after the first bit and just the idea that you know that like that kind of character i'm just gonna come right out i have no idea what's going on for a start you probably need to make it something that appeals to children if you're gonna make this again because it's um like i mean you could do it r-rated they, I, this is I this is pg-13 isn't it there's the only one the elements that's the yeah. audience they've yeah. been pushing and this was after temple of doom wasn't it yeah, this was '86. Temple of Doom was '84. Yeah, that's if it. you're going to if you're going to do something with the way that Jack follows the plot, what you almost have to do is completely change what sort of character Jack is because he's he's a guy who is always in search of an audience. Mm. I mean, that's why he talks on the Pork Chop Express radio. No that's why he's back. talking about himself. Yeah, and so I mean, maybe you instead of making him the the '80s action movie star wannabe you know because again he feels like he's sort of cosplaying he's never gotten in a fight he's mm. never killed a guy i mean he he of course says he has but that's absolutely the first time he ever plugged somebody um so he's he's basically playing pretend this whole thing maybe you have him be some kind of instead of trucker who's all talk maybe you make him some kind of internet fanboy chat room person who's mm. constantly following every could he even sit down well, at a computer? No, no. I think we've got a particular casting decision nope. out of the window. That's, that's the joke. But he is so obsessed with all this minutia of, you know, mythology and continuity. Okay, so it's just a that, <laughs> that he thinks he knows what's going on because he's like, oh, yeah, it's just like, and, and you know, maybe he's a little bit more like, what's his name from uh, the Forbidden Cri- Kingdom? Uh, and he's got the yeah. full cup. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, that was not a successful movie. Um, Speaking of I, missed opportunities, yep, yeah, yeah. Um, what, Jet Li, that, Jackie Chan. That was that was Jet Li and yeah. Jackie Chan, wasn't it? Oh man. Okay. Um, so I mean, that, you could definitely do that. Like, there's enough like y- young kid versions of uh, you know, like like people who could like specialize in it, and like so, someone who like could maybe read too much into it. But certainly, you need someone who's going to like who's going to be the audience avatar. You know, the, who like we, we could we can relate to the Rock, but we'd much rather spend a weekend with the Rock rather than be the Rock. I mean, some mm. of us would like to be the Rock, but then it suddenly becomes a power fantasy, and it's not this film at all. Yeah, they have plenty of films that do that for us, yeah. usually starring the Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly wish that his career—I mean, it's got some great films in it, but there's been like nowhere near enough really great films, and uh, he he needed to you know get some. Like, like, feasibly, whatever this film is could be really good. 
you know, I'm, I'm hoping that... Uh, the trouble is, if they do remake it, they'll mm. drop the joke. They yeah. will drop the big joke. Yeah, they will. They will. He will be the hero, because yeah. they won't get it. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of remakes that just, like, don't get the fundamental premise of the original movie. Mm. Oh, speaking of which, did you... Point break, I'm looking at you. Uh, <laughs> Neil, <laughs> Neil, have you seen a 2011 thing yet? No. Oh, you should. <laughs> Shut our, our, our friend Alistair rates it. It's good. I'll tell you what I have seen. 2016's Ghostbusters. What do you think? I liked it. I thought so too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that that might be the angle you would have to take. Is like None of them are the Egon or the Ray or the Peter. I mean, you, you might just have to Ooh. not even have a Jack and just completely take a different tack when approaching the story and mm. with a new sort of character and a new central joke but yeah cause, flip it, make it make it a female lead maybe almost mm. well definitely like uh, maybe a male female like uh, was it either one who said that um, like wouldn't it have been even cooler if um, the if basically Michelle Yeoh had played Wang up against Kurt Russell Oh, I'd watch that. You know, so she just doesn't oh, take yes, any please. of his shit, but they are still friends. I'd watch the hell out of that. I would totally. I'd watch oh, Michelle yeah. Yeoh do that with The Rock now. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Now that all of a sudden we found a way of making this remake actually interesting. Okay, we fixed it, Hollywood. Just, just do that, and it works. Take that right now. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and like you know, ultimately Michelle Yeoh could be trying to save her sister rather than her bride to be. That way, um, you know, you still got the sort of the the the, um, the sisterhood thing going on there. So it's not just uh, a girl being rescued by a boy. It could just be her bride to be as well. I mean, oh. it's twenty sixteen. Oh my Why god! Why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although then that would probably never play in China. Uh, do they not like yeah. that in China? <laughs> they, don't they don't like, like a, a lot, lot of, stuff lot of in things. China. Good point. Yeah. Although I mean, you could like Deadpool. You could pretty much rule out the remake of Big Trouble in Little China playing well in China. Full stop. You know, you could probably rule out Big Trouble in Little China at all playing well in China. Yeah, any anything related to this. But I mean, like, I mean, how would you? What tropes would you play up at this point? Because I mean, to to kids when they want like when they're going to look at something Eastern, they're going to think of. Uh, you know, most likely they're going to think of Kung Fu Panda or Lego's Ninjago, or, or Avatar, ma- maybe or Avatar for the for the kids who've got loads of great taste. Um, and uh, you know, if if kids are a bit more well viewed in terms of movies, then they've seen some really great um, subs, not dubs, fairly recently. But uh, but they're not going to be thinking of the kind of things that like the the imperialist movies everything's moved on so it is yeah. quite hard action movies have moved on yeah. kung fu movies have moved on so to, to try and do this you would have to take quite a massive different take on it yeah like um, I, what culture would it be actually connected to you know I mean, okay right feasibly you could do it with Japan and anime have some kid who's watched anime 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 and thinks he knows everything about Japanese culture then there stuck in go. Japan and, uh, you know, stuck in the middle of Yakuza uh, battle stuff with The Rock there for, uh, for this uh, anime geek to, um, to, to basically sort of learn a bit more about reality from. Okay. Maybe. Which a lot of the Japanese mythology comes from the Chinese mythology. Uh, the, the, uh, what's a Chengdai? Chengdai? Chengdai. Um, yeah. yeah, Chengdai is basically Seiryu yeah. in the Japanese. He's, a, he's an azure dragon of the East. It represents spring. 
Don't want to fall into this trap. And make the bad guys cry like an anime fan on prom night. Let's focus on the anime guy being a person with his own hopes and fears and dreams and weaknesses and strengths. But uh, there are a lot of anime avatars out there spouting absolute hatred, so they're not making you guys look good. But uh, at the same time, they could have this, uh, the, the anime geek actually know something here and there, which actually helps them. Possible? I think that, that would probably be a better way to go, simply because anime is big business, whereas kung fu movies are different now. Yeah, they're, they're not the, the big export, which is part of what what all of this was kind of hinging on was or, or the big import rather the big import export anyway but but yeah. again that's I get what you mean yeah. that's that's part of why it's the Wing Kong import export exchange is they we were literally bringing over Chinese culture for our entertainment yeah um but uh, I also wanted to like bring up I mean the the central joke In of, fact, of hang of on Jack let me just interject there oh. they could totally have done the white tiger if that was the point they were making we are bringing over the chinese culture for our entertainment if they had literally had a boatload of sex slaves taken into the white tiger and it's like there you go for our entertainment and then left everyone for the rest of the movie going oh god they they do literally say i think it's eddie who says it they don't care who she is they just want a girl to sell yeah it's it's there it's just, it's really unpleasant. I think that's probably what it was blushingly groping for. But didn't, it's also didn't big, quite it's, have that one in hand. It's because it's uneasily comic with uh, what Kurt Russell's doing with that tone, and then suddenly a lightning demon turns up. So it's a, it's an odd mix of flavours. To distract. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, so, Brendan, you, on, were, Brenda, you were in the middle of something. Then. Oh, well, I just, uh, the I, I think that the... One of the things that Bear's mentioning is the the smaller little gags that it's doing riffing on its own central joke premise. Mm-hmm. Um, like like when you have one of the moments that first clicked with me because I, I had no idea what I was getting into when I first saw this movie. I, I picked it up at a video store uh, because I first saw this when video stores were still a thing um, because it had a cool looking Drew Struzan box and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll maybe watch that. And one of the moments that I remember kind of clicking of exactly what I was watching was Jack Burton in the wheelchair. Because that's, you know, kind of a perfect encapsulation of him accidentally doing the right thing by bumbling into something because he knocks those guys down while he's falling backwards. And then you've got this extended scene where it looks like he's doing this Herculean thing of strength where he's pulling himself up on the wheelchair, which A, has no real basis in physics, and B, it it, it sounds ludicrous when you describe it, Mm -hmm. and works as a joke, a visual joke, more than an actual feat of strength, even though it's like a look at my biceps pulling up the wheelchair! <laughs> <laughs> like, it's shot as this, like, big tense, you know, stunt, and he's just literally sitting up, and that's it. And then when he comes back up the passageway as well, I noticed that the, everybody's basically like, hey, Jack, good job! And he's like, yeah, yeah, I did it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The, the, the bits where they're kind of able to take the wind out of his sails is really fun too. Like when he loses the gun and the knife, and and Wang Chi just beats the shit out of an entire room of guys, mm. and he you know stomps and saying ha, oh, time to go. <laughs> it's it's amazing how game Kurt Russell was for everything in this because mm. I mean he's he's playing a character that is all ego, and you can tell that the actor had no ego involved in any of this. Mm. 
I think uh, it, hel- it helped that uh, Kurt Russell already had a rapport with um, uh, John Carpenter. He'd done, they'd done the thing and Escape from New York. Is there another one? No, this is the third. Not at that point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the third of the the Carpenter Russell trilogy ish thing. Yeah. I think he, he said on the commentary, you know, people are now coming up to me and they're asking about uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. They're asking about Escape from New York. They're asking about Escape from L.A. No, they're not. No one's asking about Escape from L.A. <laughs> but unless they're asking, what the hell happened? No, they're asking, where's the sequel? on the last part. <laughs> no, they're asking where the sequel Escape from Earth is. I think that was... Is that actually going to happen? Oh, yeah. God, no, not anymore. Oh, they keep going well, back on about remakes now. Not since not Lockout happened. I think the only reason to ask about Escape from L.A. is to be like, uh, could, could we just get a mulligan on that? Could, could you just... We'll just pretend it never happened. Never just happened. do something better. Yeah. See, I'm one of the people... In Escape from L.A., how did you make Bruce Campbell unlikable? How how did you do that? Oh. Just it, it's, it's That's a directing feat, as far as I'm concerned. The big Temple of Doom that they meet in at the end, which has what appears to be a shopping mall escalator in it, um, <laughs> is that like a converted nightclub or something? It's either a shopping mall or or something like that because it's it, yeah, it makes no sense. But neon, man, that's, that's, a that's, that's neon. the first thing. That's a lot of neon. <laughs> that's not how you decorate a wedding. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> evil layer! What evil tyrant has neon? Mm. Maybe, maybe an evil tyrant who's just trying to feel festive. I don't know. He's excited. He's it's having the hell of taste. It's the hell of tasteless shoppers. Yes, the tyrant <laughs> who never wants to sleep. Ever. I only invited Chinese gang members to my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I like the hell. Of- <laughs> the bride's families will not be in attendance. They're in the hell of the bad cooking. And the also, bad <laughs> there was no. Was there an officiator? I didn't notice. Like, yes, that, there that- was briefly. <laughs> I didn't notice the little guy like, Do you, Beetle? <laughs> Nobody says the B word. That guy. Um, <laughs> does he do all weddings for like weird demons? I just, you know, it feels like uh, he should have <laughs> yeah, been there. It's a living. <laughs> I just assumed it was Lightning who was kind of officiating, but just, you know, by oh, yeah. not doing much. I was I mean, off doing a demon bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reasonably certain that they don't need somebody to like sign the paperwork. Yeah. Like, all right. Who here? Who here is a notary? Yeah. We need a notary. Well, under those circumstances, he can marry pretty much anyone. Just like now, we are married. Rain says so. And yeah. um, Rain, Rain I, is the notary. Yeah. I'm just sure. going to sacrifice you a little bit, but uh, <laughs> uh, 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 it is worth mentioning. My favorite three seconds of this film, by the way. I mentioned this before. When Thunder sees that Lopan's got a knife in his head. <laughs> Uh, and this is after there's been this like fairly hilarious like running backwards and forwards in front of a doorway with like furniture flying everywhere like a French farce. Um, you want to talk about Looney Tunes? Like yeah. that goes full Looney. He even just randomly chops the lion that's on that table and yeah. has, for no reason just <laughs> he's just so angry. Yeah, Lyra's argument was he just had to break something at that point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, then he sees uh, Lopan's dead and he is so enraged that he exploded on stage. It's, 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 that what I, happened? If you haven't seen this film, folks, just like that bit is totally worth the price of entry on its own. I don't think he's going to stop. Come on! 
I don't know. The scene beforehand where Jack shoots the gun up in the air and then plucks himself out is yes, also quite deliciously also funny. But, uh, but yeah, the... I haven't um, seen this movie. You've seen it in internet memes. He doesn't just explode. He inflates to the size of Mr. Creosote from um, uh, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life with steam shooting out of his ears and nostrils and then explodes. It's it's insane, and it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. It looks um, like a tune at that point. Like, like like top ten movie deaths. He looks like a tune that was like trying to mimic uh, Tetsuo from from Akira because yeah. he's got that like everything's all swelling up, and he's you know his looks so mad. His and, hands, yeah. And he, and he's and like the the actor is game for it. He looks genuinely like like he's got a a real sad mad thing going. It's like yeah. oh, you almost feel bad for like like the rancor handler in Jedi. You yeah. almost feel bad for that guy almost. But and then then he just explodes and it's and it's it's like you know insides all over the place and it's yeah. hilarious. Uh... Everyone explodes actually. All the three storms explode because rain gets stabbed and then he's flying through the air and he explodes and flies into a thing. thunder. Ex- thunder explodes and and then. Uh, they they drop a statue on lightning and <laughs> yeah. he explodes in electricity. Yeah. Also, did did Egg Shen have the the grappling hook, uh, mechanical grappling hook before Batman? Because I think he might have. I think yeah. he he did. Not before Adam West had it. And I will have a. Because oh, no, Adam right, West wasn't. had the batarang, but it wasn't mechanical. That's right. That that was just on a on a rope. Where do you get so, these wonderful so the, toys? The answer is Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an influence over your youthful friend, you better exert it now. Otherwise, I will have both of you roll off to the hell where people are skinned alive. It's that simple, understand? And my curse will be lifted. Now, this really pisses me off to no end. Indeed! Any other details of this film which we haven't yet covered? Uh, Kim, okay, right. It, am I wrong in thinking that if Jack Burton is like a, a parody of John Wayne and that that swagger is what... Uh, um, uh, Kurt Russell's doing and affecting that uh, Kim Cattrall's doing a breathy Marilyn Monroe the whole way through. She is a bit, yeah, and she actually has a, a lot of agents. I mean, she still gets you know captured and all that, but but she does get a lot of agency. You know, you see her pretending to be in a trance in order to get closer to Mao Yin. You you know, she's the one who kind of frees herself during the wedding by kicking the guy off the platform and. She's certainly game to stab someone with a spear when they're facing down with mortal low pan. She doesn't do a whole lot, but she's obviously up for doing stuff. One thing that I particularly loved is uh, when she was trying to bite low pan's finger, just the kind of... It's a silly little detail. <laughs> I, I cracked up laughing watching that. It felt like Gracie uh, is there to cement Jack as the hero to the point where just regular people and kids watching would actually think that he is the hero, that his point is to bicker with the girl, but really she loves him. And then uh, at the end they kiss. And uh, she's a little bit like... um, Was it Kim Bassinger in Romancing the Stone? Kathleen Turner. Yes, Kathleen Turner. I've got both those films in a double pack on my shelf. I now want to watch them even more because uh, I I do love me some Kathleen Turner. But she's got a breathy voice like this as well. But Kim Cattrall's kind of like affecting a a sort of... There's a thing about saxophone players the whole way through. Where does this go? Up to his office. Low Pan's office. It's cooler up there. From from there we can... Do you have a gun, I hope? I have a knife. A knife?! This guy's 12 feet tall! Seven. Hey, don't worry, I can handle him. I took something. I can see things no one else can see. Why are you dressed like that? I... 
I, I was getting married. He, he was marrying both of us just because uh, my eyes are green too, I guess. I mean, oh God, is this really happening? But she's there to basically convince the kids watching and Jack himself, because you know the kids are in the shoes of Jack, you know, that he is the cowboy hero and they're supposed to bicker and then he's supposed to kiss her and she's like, oh, get your hands off me, but really she loves him. At the end, she kind of confirms that. There's never really any point where she says... You know, Jack, you don't really know shit about what's going on here. And neither do I. We are total interlopers. Like, there's a, actually a point where he says, I feel like a total outsider or something like that. And she just says, you are. Uh, small detail. Did anybody else notice that the two of them are almost always referred to by their first and last names? It's always Gracie Law, Jack Burton. It's very rarely Gracie or Jack. I'm Gracie Wang Law. Wang is like the only one who calls... Yeah. Wang Chi is basically the only one who refers to him as Jack at all, otherwise it's Jack Burton, even when they're talking to him. Jack Burton. There there is quite a lot of naming that goes on unnecessarily in this, actually. Mm. There was one point where um, Gracie turns up and she says, It's me, Gracie. Gracie Law. He knows who you are. (laughs) It is I, look, look. (laughs) I know you're wearing a red dress and you weren't the last time he saw you, but... No, I was, I was wearing a coat. Just so you know, it was Gracie Law under the coat. Don't worry. My cunning disguise, I'm not one of the baddies. It's just me, Gracie Law. Do you know Law. what Miao Yin never has to say? She never has to say, it is I, Miao Yin, because everyone knows who she is. She's kidnapped girl. She is the flag. Yeah. The green-eyed My flag. God, is she a green-eyed flag. <laughs> now, to be fair, every girl in the movie gets kidnapped. Yeah. So... That's true, actually. Even Margot. Universal sex. Yeah. Margot. <laughs> Where did Margot get the pencil and paper, by the way? Where, where, where did that come from? They gave She's it a journalist. She knows things and she writes things down. That's her job. Day three. I am as I am in a new world entirely. And, of course, she's yeah, narrating as she's writing. Yeah. yeah. That's the joke. She's a journalist. Therefore, she knows everything she needs to know and writes down everything so she can tell it to us as the audience. Yeah. I, I yeah. loved Margot because of those silly jokes about her being basically the narrator, for lack of a better term. One thing I quite liked is how they use the elevators um, kind of throughout the underworld, mm. uh, this uh, DU-type uh, area, which, you know, in in the mythological concept, the DU is basically a maze of hells mm. uh, that have various varying levels that don't actually mean anything. And that's basically what everybody goes from place to place through an elevator, as if there's no, like, other rooms on any other floor. You're just going through hells. It's kind of a nice little way to nod to the mythology without going away from the fact that this is an incredibly silly film. And the only time that they, they use something other than an elevator is when they're gearing up for their point of no return. There's there's no coming back for this until we finish, and they slide down the pole, which they yeah. can't go back up. Why would they have a fireman's pole? Is that to get a lot of uh, uh, triad-style gang members down there quickly? Look, the important fact is that the pole still works, Alex. That's true. Stop it! He stole my joke. Nice. Sorry. You gotta try this pole. Okay, so the the beast thing that never really gets a name or an explanation. In the comic, uh, he's named Pete. Pete. <laughs> okay. Jack what's named it, him. What's his story? Of course. Because I mean, uh, I'm assuming this a- takes place directly afterwards. So after, after Pete has Baron yeah. Samdied us and gone <laughs> at the, on the back of uh, All right, Pork Chop Express. So basically, he was a demon attached to Lopan, but since Jack killed Lopan, he's now attached to Jack. So for several issues of the comic, Jack basically has a demon friend 
that helps him out. He got him like a trucker hat and oh. an inappropriate shirt at a truck stop. Is Pete still sore after Gracie kicked him in the knackers? Yes, yes, he is actually. Oh. Um, she does not appear in the comics, but it got mentioned. Uh, Jack mentions it kind of offhand, like uh, last time Pete met up with Gracie, it didn't work out so well for it, something along those lines. But gotcha. yeah for his knackers. Does the wolfman have nards? That's exactly what I thought. That's exactly what I thought when he did it. The wolfman's got nards. Um, Yeah, I I like the design on Pete actually quite a bit. Um, All of the supernatural creatures in this movie just barely toe the line of I could believe this thing is working within this kind of weird concept of a world. Uh, any, Any sillier of a look and I don't think it would fit. But it fits because the world is just weird enough for them. You also see just enough of them, like you don't you don't have them too close up for too long, or like the the thing in the bog of the dead trees that snatches one of their guys. You don't see it for more than a couple of seconds, so you don't get a chance to be like, well, that looks ridiculous and also super duper fake. And you know, they, it's I mean, Carpenter's very good at at showing his greeblies just enough. <laughs> <laughs> from just the right angle oh good yeah I walked right it's into that better. one didn't I did I coin <laughs> that term greeblies I think you did I think you coined the term showing his greeblies so we're going to keep that one in that particular context yeah. oh, my good. mother used to refer to um, like viruses as oh you greeblies. got greeblies yeah. okay. I think uh, Kermode said it at one point about something carry on sorry Carpenter showed us his greeblies there's a point where his greeblies pop out of a wall and then uh, Egg throws uh, one of those rubies at it and it explodes it says you'll come out no more um, <laughs> the Greeblies were forever locked away. Yes. The mouse went back. Oh, and we saw plenty of Wang on screen after that. So, oh, well played. <laughs> I bow to your superior Wang skills. So, I mean, like, if we're to begin, believe the the initial premise of the film, Egg is explaining why a half city block exploded in green flame to some lawyer guy, and he shows him real magic, and then what? We never and see what, what happens. Story. He just goes right. He this goes, all all this happened, and now I have to kill you with this giant ruby grenade thing, <laughs> because now you know too much about magic in the underworld. Well, or she ran off to talk to really Fox, Fox Mulder. So yeah, yeah. Well, isn't the point that this guy is um, is his lawyer, and or he's he's trying to retain him as his lawyer? Presumably, he's concerned about being I don't know sued by the city or something for exploding. Well, you got a new lawyer now, Gracie Law, great attorney in law. <laughs> you can imagine her doing TV commercials on cable access. I think she only deals with immigration. <laughs> or it could be that if she's implicated, she can't exactly be, oh, you know, point, yeah. defending someone. I'm representing myself, Your Honor. <laughs> and Jeff, I, Jack I Burton actually, skipped town. <laughs> I mean, I really like that his his response to why should I believe in magic? That's like one of the best responses ever. Mm. And, you know, the, the movie's trying to make you pay attention to Egg's a character because the first several lines of dialogue, you never even see the other guy in the room. It's just Egg in focus having half a conversation. And then, well, how can I believe in that? Bzz, that's how. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. That's I, a good answer. I've just yeah, thought it's of a good, n- good scene for having not been in there originally. Yeah. Oh, well, so yeah. was that just sort of added to uh, give it more context? It was added because um, early uh, screenings, the studio, one of the studio execs, didn't think that 
we knew that Jack was supposed to be a hero, so they added this scene in just so Wang can say how brave and heroic Jack is. Uh-huh. That's li- the original movie started just with Jack and the Porktop Express talking. So it's basically like the talking head at the beginning of Zardos? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the less. penis is evil. They should have said, you know, this is actually a satire. Rich in satire. Wit and irony. <laughs> well, that was it, thank you. Rich in irony and most satirical. And these things have not yet happened, but they may. Um, <laughs> well done, you guys, for all listening to the Zardos episode. <laughs> Oh, I figured out another way that they could possibly do the rock version. Make it a Western. I know it sounds mental, but basically make it about um, freeing Chinese... Uh, no, that's that's Shanghai Noon. Fuck it. <laughs> 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 that's seriously whatever ground you could cover in terms of someone Simpsons from from China actually turning up and actually freeing people who were being forced to work on the railway for no money at all and were basically being kept as slaves... That is Shanghai Noon. So, yeah, just watch Shanghai Noon instead. Yeah. And, and then watch the rundown. It's great. <laughs> and then, then watch uh, Big Trouble in Little China. So that way you can have three great movies and you don't have to remake anything. I like <laughs> the idea of let's not remake anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, okay, what did we see the other day that just, like, totally warrants the whole point of remaking? We saw something that was just so good. Hang on. Yeah, but Alex, you missed the point. We don't remake films that need remaking. We make pointless remakes with films that really don't need remaking. Well, I mean, like, you could say... Um, no, I was going to say you could say, why not make Big Trouble in Little China and make it successful this time? But ultimately, it is successful in terms of it's become a cult hit. And that's really kind of all John Carpenter needs, isn't it? You know, he, mm. he doesn't need it to be, like, a huge box office success. He did the kung fu movie he wanted to do. Mm. And from the sounds of it... Unlike a lot of other stories like this that we'd hear, the studio did not meddle with it too much. They rushed it out to get it um, released before The Golden Child, which they were afraid was going to be too similar. Mm. Was it? Has anyone seen that film? I've seen yeah. The Golden Child. I really like The Golden Child. Is it, it's not it, it, really that similar. Is it a comedy? It, uh, sort of. It's got Eddie Murphy thinks so. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not as um, outright trying to be funny as, as this. It has more drama. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, but on the bright side, it made... Job Cobbs to run away from like the AAA, you know, the, the film industry and went independent. So we got stuff like, you know, They Live, Prince of Darkness. See, that's that's the thing. You say remake I need to see it, Prince of Darkness. You say remake it and, and make it successful, but ultimately they don't have that much control over that uh, mm. unless they go for the studio template. And even then, the best they can really hope for is is to say, a successful can, rock. Movie. We can promote yeah. it well enough that it will make its money back, but they cannot. Super Bowl spot. Yeah, yeah. but but they, they can't didn't hurt tick Bourne. a box that says this is definitely going to be Bourne is a, a bad big film. Hit. Yeah, they they'd have to. I mean, well, for one thing, they would definitely have the ball of green flame be the end of the movie because you have to have you know death by it's shining light in the sky yeah. now. Oh. God, They'd have to the more I think about so it, the much. more that like a studio meddled, like super focus grouped version of this seems like a bad idea. Mm. And it'd probably be directed by Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> or someone just e- even as bad and just not even visually as interesting. Okay. That, that was the, that was the thing about this movie is that they, they had a movie that was testing. I mean, it was testing really well with audiences. Like, they really liked it. There were some people who were, you know, sure this is going to be a big hit. They just, it kind of got punted out by the studio. They were more interested in making Aliens, their big movie of the summer. But with 
with the right kind of marketing, this was their Fourth of July movie. This could have been a huge smash. Didn't they, didn't they, they just limit didn't have the marketing? Mark- they just thought, oh, we they, don't know what to do with this. They said in the commentary that they spent about $3 million on the marketing. Yeah, yeah. And um, if, although the, the context in which they were talking about it seemed to be that that was not unusual back then and that now it's marketing machine. Mm. So, I mean, the, the ultimate way of putting this is that if you're going to recommend this to a friend, say, it's a kung fu caper. And just mm. the, the word caper yeah. makes people go... Oh, okay. I'll just sort of sit back and watch this rather than sort of looking for a, a, an epic adventure or a hero's journey or like uh, something with huge social commentary in it because there, there's touches here and there. But if you look for it too hard, you're going to end up fo- tying yourself in knots. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually better to just sort of go in and, and, and watch it and, and just say, if it's confusing, that's fine. Jack's confused as well. It's a romp. A romp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Caper. It is, and it doesn't it's... sound like a bad alternative term for a superhero movie. Mm. I, I... Uh, it's crime caper. Capers are always good for like heist movies. Yeah, yeah. In this case, they're heisting Miao Yen. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. There's a lot more humor in it than there there was originally meant to be. I don't know if you you know looked into, but but apparently the original script played it much more uh, straight that Jack Burton was supposed to be you know, the hero when it was just a Western because, I mean, he was a he was a cowboy, a literal cowboy in that. Uh, so only... I, I don't I don't know how much effect John Carpenter himself had on modernizing it, but but it, it had to have been some as well as the script doctoring. Um, yeah. It, it definitely has the same sense of humor as Buckaroo Banzai, and I can see Richter's fingerprints on it in the sense that a lot of the jokes are not belly laugh jokes there something happens on screen it takes you a couple of seconds to realize that was a joke because generally it's played straight Mm. and that's how the joke is designed but it it tends to work out really well and um, I think that uh, this was probably uh, better for what Carpenter wanted to do Uh, I know the one joke that was in the original that they were going to do was that basically Jack could hit could hit things in the sky and could hit, like, other things other than people with his guns perfectly. But if he tries to shoot at people, he just can't seem to aim properly. And that was going to be a running joke of it. Okay, that actually kind of makes sense. And uh, they could feasibly work it into... Because, I mean, this remake thing, we can't hold it back. It's going to happen, like, uh, you know, like, like new Star Trek, no matter what we think. But uh, the two remakes that I saw in recent... Uh, weeks that actually were really good um, were Fright Night which I've mentioned before, the, the 2011 remake of that with Anton Yelchin oh. is really excellent and I, I like the original but I really like the uh, new one uh, with uh, David Tennant as well if you're a Doctor fan um, and Pete's Dragon which I haven't mentioned yeah. uh, anywhere yet but uh, I saw it the other day and loved it, absolutely adored it and then came home and watched the original for the first time since I was about Eight, and thought, wow, that they made this new film out of that. And obviously, Pete's Dragon is a huge, huge favorite with some people who are just going like, to like cherish every word of it. But um, if you're watching Pete's Dragon, the original now, really doesn't work. So to, to that end, it can be done. It just really takes a good idea of how to bring that forwards. You've got to have you've got to have a story to tell that goes beyond just I want to do that again and this time make more money on it. Yeah, Pete's Dragon is so different the the new one. It's it's such a different angle on a similar concept. Yeah, yeah. 
they they abandoned so much of it and um, and, and they kept only a couple of the basic tenets to make it still really the same story but um, you know uh, spiritually speaking but with just a, such a completely different approach so I mean I, I believe because I like to believe optimistically in anything that the right director and the right script writer could actually get a, uh, a remake out of this that finally hits home and people like go you know what this movie has was way better than it has any right to be yeah yeah anything could anything could be done um, uh, in a creative in a creative world especially since we basically are not held back visually as much as we used to be yeah so yeah absolutely get the right script get the right director and the right cast absolutely mm. the problem I find is that Studios often don't care about getting the right people. Bingo. They just want to get it out. Yeah. <sighs> so actually, who would you the get example to... that Ben Hurt make? Uh, I, I would get uh, the um, the the scriptwriter for Deadpool on this, <laughs> um, <laughs> simply because I think the scriptwriter for Deadpool is going to be very very busy, and I'd want to get him now. The real heroes. Yeah. The real heroes. Uh, but uh, who would you get to direct uh, this remake? Uh, let's, just, let's just go each in turn, and then we'll sign off on this one. So, uh, Neil? Torn between Shane Black or John Favreau. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to think of better ones. Right, um, uh, <laughs> Brendan? James Gunn. Ooh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's your big top three just taken. Okay. <laughs> Karu? Uh, uh, James Wan. He's good at making things seem bigger than they really are. Yes. I'm just going to be, like, because all of yours are so great, I'm going to say someone that's totally out there, and you're like, what? And he'd never do it because it would have to be a personal fan project of his, but it would make a very unusual film that would be adored by some, hated by others, but not seen by anywhere near enough people. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yes, I could see that. Yeah. With Yen Wu Ping doing the uh, uh, choreography. Oh, yeah. hang on, no, I would give it to Guillermo del Toro and make it another Hellboy movie. Oh, everyone, <laughs> give everything to del Toro. Everyone wins. Indeed, these are these are all great directors. So when you finally get the the, the guy who directed um, Paul Blart Mall Cop, uh, we know you fucked up, guys, because you didn't listen to us, and that was the case. So, yeah, Hollywood needs to listen to School of Movies because we'll school you. <clears throat> okay, so thank you guys very, very much for coming on to talk about this. Brendan, was it everything you'd hoped for? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I I have the best uh, Big Trouble in Little China story of all I time. I have the best that, stories. That Sorry, you sound like Trump there. Well, no, no, no I, I do. Um, like, and, I, and, I, and I like to share that, you know, we don't have to do it during the recording, but it's it's the best Big Trouble in Little China story ever because I was punished for emulating Jack Burton. Oh, no, okay, tell us I now. I story. I have oh, okay. another story now. <laughs> okay, well, um, this this was absolutely my fault, but also my wife made me do it. Um, so <laughs> back, uh, uh, back in 2011, we were in a production, an outdoor production of Shakespeare's Love of Labor's Lost, and we were rehearsing in an outdoor amphitheater at a local park. And summer in Oklahoma can be kind of adventurous. It wasn't tornado season anymore, but it was still kind of, you know, sketchy every now and then. One particular day, we came to rehearsal in the afternoon. There were big clouds, but there was only about a 40% chance of showers. So we thought we were still going to be okay. And Mab, who I love for making references like this, turns to me and says, Hey, Brendan, 
is there anything that you want to say to that storm right there? And like an idiot, I said, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. <laughs> now, there is, there is like, fo- like photographic and video evidence of this happening because not 20 minutes later, it started raining. And then it started raining harder. And then we started getting 40 mile an hour gusts of wind and hail that was trying to shake the big awning off the top of the amphitheater while we were still outside. Shake the pillars of heaven, would you say? Yes. (laughs) Uh, um, Somebody came and tried to kidnap your wife. It's just... (laughs) It it wasn't quite that bad, but, you know, the storm gave us its best shot. Uh, We we did... We did take it, but but ever since then, I have been completely forbidden from ever saying that ever to the weather in any situation. <laughs> Don't talk to the weather. You just tell them the checks in the mail. I just tell them the checks in the mail. <laughs> How often do you actually talk like Jack Burton? Uh, not as often as you would think, but he takes often every enough. opportunity he can. <laughs> yes. He's gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. Total concentration. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. It's all in the China is here. What does that mean? Huh? China is here? I don't even know what the hell that means. All I know is this Lopan character comes out of thin air in the middle of a goddamn alley while his buddies are flying around on wires cutting everybody to shreds and he just stands there waiting for me to drive my truck straight through him with light coming out of his mouth and I'm a reasonable guy but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. The hell it does so somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. The truth? I can take it. We may be trapped. You feel kind of invisible. Ah! Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Who? Well, Star-Lord, man. Legendary outlaw. Guys? Jack Burton. Me. Old Jack always says, what the hell? Forget it. I probably use it more memetically online than I do in real life, but it, it is one of it is one of my comfort food movies. I go back to it a lot, and and Mab is good enough to set me up with straight lines like that a lot. Um, fewer of them involving tempting weather gods in a state known for weather that wants to kill you all the time these days, because <laughs> we do occasionally learn. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this was great. Uh, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed kind of talking this out with uh, you guys. I, I actually showed four other people this movie for the first time, or maybe three of the four, the movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I got to talk with them. Now I got to talk with you guys. It's just been great uh, discussion. I what love did it. they thank think you. of it? They all loved it. All Every, right. uh, everybody kind of enjoyed it for different reasons, and it was kind of great. Uh, even my fiance, she uh, she didn't quite follow parts of it. Mm-hmm. But she still enjoyed what she liked, what she saw. I have to say, I'm really happy because I was it when we did the nightmare podcast. Oh yes, nightmare. Well, my my request to you was because 2016 had been such a bastard. We did. I really wanted to make sure we covered something by John Carpenter and not because he'd passed. And now we've done two. So I'm really really happy. Thing and big trouble. What? Where can people find you if they if they want to uh, hear your stuff and see your stuff? Uh, Neil first. 
Uh, you can find me over on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash the kid dog, where I have my short history of video show in going into video game companies, hardware, and video games themselves. And Brendan? Uh, I co-host the film branch of the Day One Podcast, which you can find on the SoundCloud, Day One Podcast, iTunes, and you can also visit the, the Day One Patch forums if you want to you know, talk to other people about geeky stuff. And uh, if you want to follow Jack Burton, comma, me, I am also at BLC Agnew on Twitter. I'm Karen. Uh, you can find my close readings of comic books at sequentially-yours.com. Uh, you can also find other comic book stuff at Infinity Arc on YouTube. And my written stuff is at eclipsepopculture.com. And Nick, we hope that you enjoyed this show, which you uh, paid for half of as well, along with uh, Brendan. Folks, if you want to commission a show, we can do this kind of thing. 150 bucks is the going rate on a movie. It's more if you want a series on TV. A lot more if you want an anime series. Like a lot more. <laughs> or you just have to be me and be very persistent and patient and it works out. Or you can also, be like Neil. Also, although when someone owes you a favour for making you watch three Transformers films. Well, yeah, <sighs> but then you, you introduced us to Fast and Furious, so I figured like, you know, we, we owed you big time for that, so thank you. <laughs> no, I, I have to now say the bright side is you never made me watch the fourth, which I've only ever heard bad things about. It's, it's, it's bollocks. Next week marks the occasion of my 500th podcast. And to celebrate, I'm pulling out all the stops, fighting through any arm discomfort I might still be feeling and my all-new itchy hands, and editing together an extravaganza of moments from my nine years of talking into a mic. Be there. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, folks, if you uh, if you do want to get something done, just uh, get in touch with us uh, on Twitter at uh, School of Movies and uh, just... Check us out and see if we're going to do it. If we're not going to do it, you can be the one that makes it happen. Or you can club together with a bunch of other people and make it happen that way. And I will also say, Big Trouble in Little China is currently available in HD on UK Netflix. So watch it quick before they take it off. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so you want to watch... <laughs> I took out my, my collector's edition DVD. It was like, watching it going, I need to buy this on Blu-ray. I didn't realise it was on Netflix yep. and HD. We watched the first 20 minutes and then just around about the time when Jack is being brought down to the underworld of uh, you know Chinese mysticism, when I switched for uh, Netflix because I remembered it was on there. And it is, it's gorgeous transfer to HD. It makes the, all of the... Like, the difference between low pan in the DVD going... And the difference between him, uh, you know, just the, with the dark shadows and the dark greens behind him, it's just, it's so much more crisp. So, which also suggests that if you really like this movie, it's worth getting on Blu-ray. And it's not too much. but uh, It is. It's fairly cheap on Blu-ray and it's a great transfer. Yeah. Either way, you can see it for yourself on UK uh, Netflix. I don't know about America, but uh, you want to watch it quick before it's gone in the morning, just like old Jack. So, uh, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out, Pilgrim.
This episode was brought to you via donation from Brendan Agnew and Mr.